have a seat. So week three, we're in week three of this series we're calling OK Google, where we're asking uh, some of Deep's uh, life's deepest questions, uh, most important questions that are on us. And so today we're going to look at the question, how can I know God's will for my life? Uh, so that's where we're going to be. But uh, I got to tell you, uh, before we get going, when I was growing up, there was a series of books that I absolutely loved, and they were called Choose Your Own Adventure books. Anybody familiar with Choose Your Own Adventure books? There's a few of us. Okay. Um, so they began with The Cave of Time in 1979, and they came to an end in 1998. Uh, they did a Star Wars theme series of books. But seven years later, 2005, they began reprinting new editions of their older books and began sprinkling a few new ones. But these books were the first of their kind to really hit it big. And what they do, uh, in many ways, they, they took the child fiction genre by storm. At least that's what it appeared to me as a kid. Um, so I picked up one of their remakes a few years ago. Um, this one, it was printed in 2007. Um, it is one of the remakes. Um, it's on a first grade reading level, so perfect for me. Um, if you aren't familiar with the books, here's what they do. They put you into the main character role. So instead of telling you um, that so-and-so went and did this and he was faced with this big decision and then he made this one and then they tell you about this main character, instead, um, I'll just give you an example. Uh, page 18 and 19. Let me get that out of there. Let's see, page. Huh. Here we go. All right, so, um, so it's called Your Very Own Robot. So, uh, page 18. Now stop, you shout, but your robot keeps jumping. Come back, you yell, chasing him. Your robot jumps into an ice cream factory. He keeps jumping until he lands in an enormous tub of strawberry ice cream. Glump, he yells, but I'm, I'm not programmed to swim. You know how to swim, but the ice cream looks very cold and thick. What if you sink down in it forever? And at the bottom it says, if you dive in to save your robot, turn to page 33. If you yell for help, turn to page 38. And then you turn to those pages based on the decision you want, and the story continues. Now you're all familiar with Choose Your Own Adventure books. There you go. Um, this book alone, as you continue to make decisions, you finally get to a page that says, the end, the end. Um, this book alone has 12 different endings. And so the story changes based on your decisions. I bought this book. Uh, Elsie Joe was in kindergarten, I believe. And when I got it, we read through it together uh, one night before bed. And it was, I'll be honest, it was over pretty quick. Apparently, if you're a five-year-old girl and you pick all the happy, clappy decisions, it's over real quick. All right. And so for her, um, that's what we did. And hers, um, it starts raining. And so the robot, of course, is, can't be out in the rain. So they climb up in the treehouse. And so her and the tree, her and the robot are in the treehouse, um, and then uh, he falls out of the treehouse and he gets broken. And so she had the decision of whether to fix him or to move on with life. So she, of course, <laughs> chose to fix him because that's what a five-year-old girl would do. And so she fixes him, and then he climbs back up the ladder to the treehouse, and they sit in the treehouse with a tea party, and that's the end of the story. The end. Okay. Now. I put Elsie Joe to bed, and I thought, there's got to be more to it than that. Right? Like, that's the story in the, the treehouse. So I looked. All right? So there, I'm not going to tell you all the 12 other endings. But I finished, and what I found is that there's one ending that ends on another planet defeating an evil robot. Come on. 
There's another one where the, uh, the robot transforms into a money printing robot and he prints all this money and you're rich. Come on. And then my favorite, um, uh, the world is being uh, tortured by a band of pirates and you actually, along with your robot, join the Coast Guard and wind up getting a $5,000 reward for capturing the band of pirates. Man, like, those are, all I could think was, we made some wrong decisions along the way. (laughs) Like, that we didn't wind up in those. Um, We missed out on some awesome things. And so, this is a children's book, okay? But what I have seen in my life and the lives of those around me is I've done ministry for 13 years now, 14 years now. So, this is exactly how we view the will of God. Anytime we are faced with major decisions, We stress and we stress and we stress over which decision to make. And after we make the decision, we second guess ourselves to death because we're we're fearful that one day we're going to wind up in the treehouse wondering if we missed out on fighting intergalactic robots, getting filthy rich on robot money, or becoming a war hero on the open seas. This is the fear of so many people. We're going to miss out on something. I believe that's a common sentiment today. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'll put mine up. What if I missed out on something that God had for me because I simply chose to go right instead of left? I've had this thought. I've walked with others through these same thoughts. But what if I told you that this idea is nowhere in the Bible? What if I told you that all the stress that we're experiencing in our decision-making is honestly coming more from the culture around us than it does from the Lord? Would that help you breathe easier? Let's dive into it today. I want to start by looking at Acts 16. Turning your Bibles to Acts 16. The reason we're starting here is because I couldn't find five, five verses... I couldn't have picked five verses spread throughout the Bible that are crazier than these five right here. And they're all together. And it just, the Bible just says it like it's every day. And so anyway, you're going to see as I read through this. I'm going to read through it and I'm going to pray. And then we're going to come back and talk about it. Beginning in verse 6 of, of chapter 16. They went, and I didn't practice saying these names, so whatever. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came to Mysia, they tried to get into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. Um, God, that, uh, that in the midst of our decision-making, God, I, that, that you're, giving, um, God, you're giving us a path forward. And God, I pray that today as we study your word, uh, God, you give us eyes to see uh, what your will is for our lives, and God, that you give clarity there. Um, and God, allow us to today understand more of what, uh, what your word says when it says the will of God. So God, uh, give us, give us a, a good time today. Um, God, but let us, let us all grow today in our understanding. Uh, we ask you to teach us to know you today and that you'd be with us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
Amen. Now, I don't know if it did the same thing for you, but when I read those five verses this week, I thought it was nuts. Um, Because this is Paul on one of his long-term missionary journeys where he's preaching the gospel, planting churches, and he's got a team of people with him. And and almost in every single verse, Paul seems, Paul and his team seem to have grasped this whole idea of God's will in a way that I don't. Can I be honest with you? They're moving across the world, planting churches, but all the while they're being led by the Spirit. You see it in the very first verse. Verse 6. This team, they went through the, these two regions, and they had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. I don't know what that means. If you're waiting for Heath, tell us what that I don't know. All I know is it says the Holy Spirit had forbidden them. Let's keep going. Verse 7. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not let them. What? I don't know what it means. But this team seemed to have some sort of connection to the Spirit of God that sometimes I like. Let's keep going. Verse 8, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, which doesn't have a lot of significance, but let's keep going. Verse 9, during the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. Paul has a vision of someone in need asking him for help. Most of us have probably not experienced that. And finally, verse 10, after he had seen the vision, clearly he talked with the people around him. We made efforts to set out for Macedonia because we concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Right? For, I don't know. <laughs> I read that verse and I'm just blown away by this team's ability to seem to understand what God wants them to do. So I'm going to ask you a question. That's not rhetorical. I'm going to use a term that we're maybe probably familiar with. Do you think Paul and his team are in the center of God's will in this passage? It's not a trick question. Yeah. Like if you can read those five verses and go, I don't know. Maybe. What? The Spirit is preventing them from going places. They're having visions. This is... I think so too. I agree with you. But let me ask you this. Do we see Paul as the leader of this group? As he's faced with these major decisions, who who will actually get to receive the gospel for the first time? These unreached peoples that we're going to, to where are we going to go? What are we going to do? Do you see him ridden with the same kind of anxiety that we often get while we seek God's will? Do we see Paul asking God over and over again what his will is and then waiting on that answer no matter how long it takes? What we see is that Paul seemed to know what God would have him to do quickly. And it's because Paul understood something that you and I often get messed up. And that is that God's will for Paul's life was not centered on what he did. It was centered on who he was. God's will for Paul's life and God's will for your life is not centered on what you do. It's centered on who you are and who you are becoming. We're going to look at that because as I look at these five verses, I see a man in Paul who is getting, who is understanding God's will for his life in a way that maybe I don't. And so I'm going to look at Paul's writings. That's what I did this week. I looked at Paul's writings to try to figure out, man, is Paul, give me some direction so that I can see life the way Paul does. 
So we're going to look. Paul, over 20 times in his letters, Paul speaks of God's will. And we're not going to look at all of them. None of you said amen? Good. Okay. But we're just going to look at a few of them and then and type A people, I promise you the points are coming. Here we go. Colossians 1, 9 through 12. For this reason also, this is Paul just kind of beginning his letter to another church. Uh, Since the day we heard about what I just talked about, we haven't stopped praying for you, church. We are asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyful to giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance and the light. There's one period in that whole sentence. We made it to the end. Here's point number one. What we're seeing Paul say is that knowledge of God's will leads to obedience. Knowledge of God's will leads to obedience. Paul was praying that this church, that the people of this church, that he loved so much would be filled with the understanding of God's will. That was the prayer he prayed. Honestly, it was the prayer I prayed for our church this week. God, fill us with an understanding of what your will is. But why does Paul say that prayer was so important? Did you catch it? That's why you got to listen for the so that's. So that's are so important. Paul says that this is important so that you can feel fulfilled in life. Is that what he said? So that you can post really cool Instagram pictures of your life and say, hashtag blessed, hashtag in the center. These are things, just take notes. No, Paul says this knowledge of God's will would bring about the fruit of obedience. Look at it, verse 10. He says, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And then I know you're thinking the question, well, Paul, what do you mean by that? Bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. And then he goes on to talk about being strengthened and giving thanks and tons of other things. What does all that mean? Paul says that when we are filled with an understanding of who God wants us to be, the outcome of that is obedience and everything. So we're going to use a will here, okay? So when we have an understanding of who, what, who God wants us to be, it leads to obedience. Do you agree with that? Have you seen that to be true in your life? When God gives you clarity of what he wants you to do, that it leads to your obedience. Three of us agree. Awesome. You're going to have to participate with me. You've got to help me out. Yes, I think that's true. And I think this is oftentimes the way we view God's will. We're waiting on God to show us so that we can be obedient. God, if you would just bring clarity to my situation, you'd help me answer this question, this decision that I've got before me. If you'll give me clarity on that, man, I can get after it for you. My first position in ministry was as a youth pastor. I had students in our ministry that were absolutely frozen in their tracks by big decisions. I think we give teenagers a bad rap. Yeah, they do dumb things. But from the time they're freshmen in high school to the time they graduate college, they are being thrown decisions, big boy and big girl britches decisions. And I, as a student pastor, that's what I was facing. I was helping these kids help make these decisions. And I can remember one conversation with a girl who couldn't decide which college to attend. And some teenagers are wrestling with that because they want to know which one's the easiest. They want to know which one they can party more. They want to know which one they can make more friends. Or they may want to know which one is going to provide a better education, some of them. 
But for her, one of her biggest fears was which one is God's will for my life? She'd been praying and praying for God to provide the answer for her and her graduation date was nearing. And she just knew that if I had that answer, I could breathe this deep sigh of relief and I could get back to being obedient to what God wanted me to do. And oftentimes, this is what we say. We say, God, help me answer this decision. And then we go and we live about our life and we go and we do our life and then we come back, God, I've still got this decision. Give me clarity. This is what we, this is what we think of. And if, if this was the only place in Paul's letter where he addressed God's will, then it would be true. God's understanding of God's will leads to obedience. If this was the only place that Paul speaks of it, it would be true. But Paul speaks of it 19 other times. And this is why we never, I've said this from the day I got here, we never take one verse of Scripture and build our entire theology and idea around it. Because if you look just at Colossians 1, 9 through 12, you would think that this is the only way it works. We need to pray for God's will we need to pray for understanding of God's will. Then we can be obedient. But then Romans 12, 1 through 2 comes in. Paul's just spent 11 chapters providing some really in-depth discussions of what it truly means to be, to be called as believers in Christ. And then the, things begins, the thing begins to shift in verse 12. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that, sound familiar? You may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. These two verses are laid out very similar. There's, a, there's an urging, there's a, hey, do this, and then there's a so that, and then there's what the so that is pointing to. So what's Paul urging them to do in this text? So at the very beginning, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And that's supposed to sound creepy. It's supposed to sound creepy. Like, What does a sacrifice mean? Well, that's a dead lamb on the altar. The, the, the people that he's writing to had seen that. But as you, as you read and you meditate on what this means, it seems that Paul is actually saying very simply for the Christians in Rome, to give God every aspect of their lives. This is what God's called all of us as believers to do. God, to to get, make our lives, our bodies, a living sacrifice. To live every moment for Him. I'll use the terminology that we've already used in the sermon. To be obedient, right? Anybody disagree that that's what Paul's saying? Good, because I've got a mic, you don't. Okay, just kidding. We could talk about it. So Paul says to be obedient first. And then he says, so that. Why did Paul say it was important that they be obedient? What was the outcome? Look at verse 2. So that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Paul says the obedient life and transformed mind would lead to a knowledge of God's will. So point number two is this. Obedience leads to knowledge of God's will. If you're taking notes, you've seen it. If you're not taking notes, it may have went right over your head. What was point number one? Yeah, and what was number two? Okay, you see in this. So what Paul says in Colossians 1 is knowledge of God's will leads to obedience. Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says obedience leads to God's will, knowledge of God's will. Do you see this? 
Paul says this. So the question is, Paul, it can't be both, right? It can't be which one has to come first, knowledge of God's will or obedience. And Paul just says, yes. Both of these things are true. As we live lives of obedience, what begins to happen? Have you seen it in your life? We more clearly get an idea of who God wants us to be. And what happens as God gives you clarity of who he wants you to be? Guess what you do? You choose to be more obedient. And as you choose to be more obedient, guess what begins to happen? God begins to make it clear. Who I could keep going. Y'all see this. I've been moving my arm around in a circle, getting exercise. This is what Paul seems to be laying out, this beautiful cycle that God desires us to get into. But here's the problem. All of us want in at the top. So there's an own ramp up here, Paul says, to get in this circle, and then there's an own ramp at the bottom. And all of us want to sit back and say, God, give me clarity. And when you give me clarity, boy, I'll hit the ground running. Give me clarity, God, so that I can be obedient. Give me clarity so that I can be obedient. But what Paul's saying in Romans 12 is there's another own ramp on the bottom. There's another own ramp on the bottom which says, be obedient, and then God will give you understanding of his will. Then you can be obedient, and he'll give you understanding of his will. Too many people don't want to do the right thing, to live transformed lives. They simply want God to tell them what to do and then promise it on the back end. They want to live their life their way and, and still have God speak into their direction. A well-known pastor, uh, R.C. Sproul, says it this way. It was a book I read this week in preparation. I read, read in air quotes, uh, skimmed, rather skimmed. Um, but anyway... Uh, we, he says, we seem more concerned with our horoscope than with our obedience. We seem more concerned with the stars and their courses, what the stars and their courses are doing than what we are doing. Church, and I know that's kind of a, a secular idea, but we are, we are not concerned so much with what God wants us to do daily in our lives. We simply want him to answer the questions that stress us out. <laughs> and church, that stings your pastor's heart more than anybody in this room. This is the way we live our lives. Instead of, just, instead of uh, wanting to be obedient, we're faced with these questions and then, and then we say, God, help me, help me have an answer here. God, I've got, this, I've got a job situation or I'm trying to figure out whether to move. God, give me clarity on this. When I get out of bed each day, my concern is often with doing my own will over God's will. I live my life, but then a big decision gets put in front of me. And then what is the first thing I do? God... Almighty Father, please, Lord, give me clarity of your will. And I know that God is in heaven going, so now? So now you're concerned with what I want, right? Now you're concerned with what my will is. I mean, this morning when you got out of bed, you didn't ask me. Like when you got ticked at the dude that didn't go around the traffic circle, right? You didn't ask me. Like when, when, you were, when you got frustrated with your children, you weren't concerned. When you were making decisions for the church, you weren't concerned, right? Every day, we're making decisions over and over and over again, and we're doing what we want to do. And then when a decision is put in front of us that we're scared to make, then we call to God and say, give me clarity. And I know God's got to be wanting to body slam the fire out of us. But he's a gracious God. 
That's so convicting on me. And I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish that it was not exactly what Paul is saying is true. This week, as God was wrecking my heart, I was like, that can't be what the Scripture says. That can't be what the Scripture says. That can, uh, it, that's exactly what the Scripture says. We've got the, this is the on-ramp down here. There is an on-ramp up here. Paul talked about it. But this one is four lanes wide. It's easy to get on. Be obedient to God, and he will begin to reveal his will to you, which will lead to you being obedient, and you're getting in this cycle. We most often feel like we lack knowledge of God's will. Most of us would probably agree with that statement. I feel like I don't always know what God wants me to do. The Bible has just told us you lack that because you lack obedience in daily things. Paul says similar things just like this. In Ephesians 5 and 1 Thessalonians 5, you can look at those later. Paul says, be the right person and you will know God's will. Get on at the bottom, at the ramp, and then you will know God's will. And Paul didn't plagiarize this, but he stole it from Jesus. Paul didn't come up with this idea. In Matthew 6, Jesus is talking about with his disciples there and, and several, probably a lot of people gathered. He's talking about all the things that stress us out. All the daily decisions that we have to make, all the decisions that get put before us and that stress us out. And he says in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does that look like? Be obedient and all these things will be provided for you. And then at the risk of calling Jesus a thief, he stole it from the Proverbs. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You got it on the wall at grandma's house, probably if she was raised in church, somewhere in grandma's house. And every grandma's house that grew up in church is this verse somewhere, on a pot, a picture, somewhere. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him. What does that look like? Be obedient. And he will make your paths straight. Understanding God's will. Paul's understanding of God's will was not new or unique. He just spent a lot more time talking about it than anyone else. There was a pastor who, uh, um, he was in Birmingham, and now he's in, uh, he's in uh, Washington, D.C., pastoring a church. Um, and I also listened to a sermon and read some stuff that he had written on the will of God, and this is what he said. As we walk with God, he directs the details of our lives for the accomplishment of his will and the spread of his worship in the world. As we walk with God, he directs the details of our lives. Put in Heath language, as he, directs, as he directs the details of our lives, we are drawn into greater obedience, which leads to direction, which leads to obedience, which leads to direction. And I've got my shoulder workout for the day. The catch is, the catch is, our first step as sinful human beings cannot be to simply sit back and wait on direction. That cannot be the on-ramp that we choose. Paul mentions it one time. Every other time, he starts with obedience. Every other time. The spot to get on the cycle is in our obedience. 
But Paul's perspective shifter for the will of God came for me in 1 Thessalonians 4. As, as mind-blowing as the studying over the last probably four years, I've been studying the will of God, and especially this week, which has just been a big step forward in my own understanding. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4 is the one that just blew my mind. And I've told you many times, you've got to slow down when you're reading the Bible. But if you're in one of Paul's letters, you've got to really slow down. Because that first verse I read, or not the, not the Acts one, but the, second, the uh, Colossians one, that was all one sentence. Did you see how many commas were in that sucker? Commas, colons, semicolons, the parentheses. He just, he writes like I, he writes like I talk, just shoving everything in there together. One period at the end, that's it. A capital letter at the beginning and a period at the end. Um, Courtney will be able to help us a lot with this. Courtney Buckley, if y'all know Patrick's wife, Courtney. Um, she's uh, going to be, she's working hard this summer, uh, getting ready for diagramming sentences in the fall. If you're on Facebook, she talked about that. Um, that's what you really need to do with Paul's letters. So Courtney can help us with that in the fall. Um, you really need to almost diagram what Paul's saying and going, okay, how does this all fit together? Because he's got, there's clauses and there's all this stuff. It's crazy. Big run on sentences. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if we slow down and read it, and we don't get in a hurry, we just slow down, we'll catch something that's really, really beautiful. Paul's given some instruction of how to be obedient to God leading up to this, and, and it looks similar to other places. However, his main focus is here on sexual sins. That was something he was addressing specifically. But he's also talking about God's will. So he's talking about obedience, and he's talking about God's will. And so let's play a game. Which one do you think is going to come first in this verse? Do you think it's going to be obedience first? Or do you think he's going to say knowledge of God's will first? Which, is it going to start at the on-ramp at the top or the on-ramp at the bottom? Mm, let's see. Verse 3. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality. And he goes on and on from there. Now, I know that there are a lot of mind-blowing things in the Bible, and none of your heads exploded when I read that. But I can tell you that when I read that verse with spirit-filled eyes a few years ago, my heart stopped for a moment because God was bringing clarity to my mind of something I had been asking of God's Word for a long time. You see, Paul's not telling us here, as he's done in other places, how we can gain a knowledge of God's will. Hey, be obedient, and God will show you what his will is. Church, he's telling you outright what God's will is for you. You see it? It's right there on the screen. See, because God's word says that I can now tell you that every person in this room today who has believed on the name of Jesus, I know God's will for your life, and I ain't a prophet. I'm just a goofy preacher. I know God's will for your life because it's on the screen, church. Your sanctification. That's what Paul says. It's a word I reminded you of just recently, two weeks ago, as we talked about suffering. Sanctification is a big word. It's actually tied to the word holy, being made holy. But it gets fleshed out in God's word. The way we would say it as Christians is that this is the lifelong process of looking like Jesus. So what is God's will for your life? His will for your life is that you look like Jesus. That's point number three. I'm telling you, the moment that this clicked for me, 
I felt a good bit of spiritual burden lifted off of every big decision in my life. After seeing this, I wanted to run to every college student as I got to do with this one who was at our church and go and ask them three questions. Can you honor God at UNA? To which her answer was yes. I said, can you honor God at UAH? And her answer was yes. I said, is there either one of them that seems to have a greater opportunity for you to grow in Christ? And she said, no. And I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home. I want you to pray. And I said, in the morning, make the call. Make the call. Because what I was trying to help her see in this moment is that God was less concerned with the college that she chose and more of her heart looking like Jesus. Church, this is what we need to know. This is what we need to understand. We are making big decisions about what to take and we're acting as if God is in heaven with his fingers crossed going, please pick law, please pick law, please pick law. Whew, they did. God, they chose law. Yes, my plans are not ruined. God's main concern for you is not that you look like a lawyer, but that you look like Jesus, church. His will for your life is not that you look like an, an awesome elementary school teacher, an electrician, a plumber, a pastor. His main concern for you is that you look like Jesus. God's word is clear. His will for our lives is centered most around looking like his son. God desires that you look like him. He wants you to follow hard after Jesus in obedience. And as you are following Jesus, you will have to make decisions. You'll be faced with different opportunities, but his spirit will be there to guide you just as he was Paul as you make those decisions. But it seems unhealthy and even unwise for us to think that God's will is this tight, narrow walkway and it's hidden and it's strict and it always involves one right decision. And if you blow it, you're in a treehouse with a robot instead of traveling four dimensions of space. Church, God's will is your sanctification. So if all this that I've said is true, and I think I've done the best job I could do of backing it up with Scripture, because that's where I got it from, what does that mean for us? What it means is that you and I must become less concerned with the decisions we face in life and more concerned with how Christ-like we're becoming. Let me ask you, have you lost more sleep in your life over what job to take or whether to buy a house or whether to do something like that or over the sin that separate, separated you from God from the very beginning before Christ died? Like, are we more broken over our sin or are we more broken over these decisions we've got to make? That'll help us see whether our concern is the same as God's. Since it's Father's Day, let me ask this question. Moms and dads in the room, is your greatest concern for your children that they'll have a good job and a good family or that they look like Jesus? Is it that, is your, is your greatest concern that they be the best ball player on the field? Or is your greatest concern that they look like Jesus, doggone it? Oh, I'm telling you, that one hits me between the eyes. If that resonates with you like it does me, I hope it does. 
There was a day when I, if I would have seen someone who was wrestling with like what was God's will for their life and just, just ripped open over this decision, I would have thought, wow, what maturity. But after studying these passages for the last few years, I find myself, question, I would actually question that person's growth at all. Because spiritual maturity looks like daily obedience to God's word and an understanding that God's ultimate goal for me is Christ-likeness, not making the right decisions about a career or a home choice. When we get into the obedience and God's will cycle, when we get in where we're supposed to with obedience and we're living daily obedient to God and we're, God's revealing his will and we're living obedient and it's, we're, man, it gets so freeing and we'll begin to explode in our walk with God. Growth like crazy. So the question that's on the table today is where are you today? Are you begging God for clarity on his will for your life while ignoring daily obedience that he's already called you to? If so, I would encourage you to do as I've done this week to repent of that and make the commitments today to begin living for God daily. What are those daily things that you can start doing? I would start with prayer and reading the Bible. It's a great place to start. Some of you I know are frozen in your decision-making out of a fear of making the wrong decision, worried you're going to wind up in the, in the treehouse and look back on your life and regret all these decisions. Listen to me. God wants you to look like Jesus. You've, dude, I've made so many dumb decisions in my life that have got brought me to where I am. Did you hear me when I said that? <laughs> I've made dumb decisions in my life that brought me to where I am. God's big enough. God wants you to look like Jesus more than he is concerned with your decision. Pray right where you are up at this altar. Give that stress to God. That's coming from the world. That's not coming from the spirit. And if you've never surrendered your life to Christ today, whether you're a child, a teen, or a grown adult with a lot of life behind you, I actually can tell you exactly what God's will is for you today because of the Bible. One of Jesus' closest disciples was named Peter. And Peter, in one of his letters, wrote that God doesn't desire that any perish, but all come to repentance. I can tell you today, if you've never trusted in Jesus, God's will for you today is that you trust in him. We'd love to help you make that decision because your sin is separating you from, an, a way, from God in a way that you can't fix yourself. But God, knowing this problem would be there, sent Jesus to bear the full weight of your sin in his own body. And though Jesus never sinned, he was killed because of ours. And because he died for them and was raised again to new life, we can trust in his name to save us and restore us to God. Though our sin once separated us from him, we can be with God. Today, if you need to deal with God on any of these levels, the altar will be open here. This is a place for you to come and pray. You can pray right where you are. And I'm also going to stand back at the back. Um, if you need to come talk to me about any next steps uh, for salvation or anything that God may be doing with, dealing with you on. But I'm going to say a word of prayer, and then we can stand and, and we can respond. Uh, Father, Father God, um, there's a lot of times, God, I love preaching. I love getting to study your word and God be able to bring a message God to your people um, but God I've in a lot of ways hated this this week because God it's been so painful in my own heart got to know the the emphasis that I place on decisions um, God oftentimes earthly decisions 
And God, instead of being focused on what you want to me to focus on, God, what you yourself are focused on. God, uh, we got a lot of big decisions to make as a church coming up. Got a lot of big decisions this week to make. God, about facilities and all this stuff. And God, I do pray for clarity on those. God, help me to be obedient. God, I believe your word says your spirit will guide me. God, help the people of Lindsay Lane East, God, not to be sitting around. God, may Lindsay Lane East never be a people who are sitting around not being obedient, waiting for you to tell us what to do. God, may we be a people that are getting after it daily. And then along the way, you'll reveal to us what we need to do. And Father, may it start right here in me, in my heart as a pastor. God, help us to internalize uh, what your word has said today and God, help us to process it. Um, and then God, help us to begin to, to live differently because of this message today. Um, God, we trust you with this. Uh, we trust you with the word, God, to, uh, to make it real in our hearts. God, uh, help us to respond in the ways that we need to um, as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, guys. Let's stand and respond however you need to.